Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. Alcoholism or addiction in general is an allergy combined with obsessive thought. What are some of the dangers of addiction when you have a Fontan heart? How does a heart warrior who has addiction problems break free from that addiction? What new project is Joe Flowers embarking upon in 2023? Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna. I am Anna Jaworski and the mother of an adult with a congenital heart defect. My child has undergone three open heart surgeries and she is 28 years old and my inspiration. She's the reason I became an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. And if you listened to the show last week, you got a chance to hear me interview her. Today's show is Addiction and Congenital Heart Defects, and our guest is Joe Flowers. We'll start today's program by learning a little bit about Joe in segment one. In the second segment, we're going to talk to him about complications that he's had. And in the third segment, we're going to discuss Joe's future prognosis. Joe Flowers was born in 1980 with tricuspid atresia, an and a VSD. He had a chronic sinus infection in his early life, but remained well enough to avoid heart surgery until the age of 11 years. He had a modified Fontan, which was successful, and he enjoyed good heart health for almost 20 years. In 2009, at the age of 29, he was diagnosed with ventricular tachycardia, for which he received a defibrillator. Around this time, Joe also had back surgery. Unfortunately, a private struggle was building in Joe's life with the pressures of work, marriage, and family, and he developed an addiction problem, which he paid for dearly. Today, Joe wants to rebuild his health and take charge of his life. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Joe. Thanks for having me, Anna. Happy to be on today. I'm happy to have you on the program. I'm so excited that we're going to have a chance to talk about this very serious situation because I think there are a lot of people who are dealing with addiction and dealing with chronic pain and mental health issues. And it's just something that we haven't really talked about enough, even though I do feel that in this year, 2022, we have had quite a few shows that have talked about it, but I think it's because it's such a prevalent problem. So thank you for coming on and being candid with us about these situations in your life. Let's start by talking about your heart condition. You were born with tricuspid atresia. Not Mm -hmm. all of my listeners know what that is. So can you tell us a little bit about your CHD diagnosis? Yeah, you bet. I'll give it a try in any case. Tricuspid atresia is basically a condition in which the tricuspid valve in the heart does not form. I think the best way to understand that problem is to first know how blood flows in a normal heart. So in a normal heart, 
the non-oxygenated blood returns to the heart from the body into the right atrium. The tricuspid valve allows the blood to flow from the right atrium into the right ventricle, which then pumps the blood out to the lungs to get more oxygen. And then after getting more oxygen in, from the lungs, the blood returns to the heart through the left atrium, flows through the mitral valve to the left ventricle and out to the body again, where it delivers oxygen. In a heart with tricuspid atresia, the blood flow stops as it enters the heart in the right atrium. But two more defects normally occur that allow blood to continue to flowing for a patient to stay alive. And that's what occurred with me. The first of those defects is called an atrial septal defect or an ASD. We'll probably refer to it like that throughout the show. And the second one is called a ventricular septal defect or VSD. The ASD is a hole that forms in the wall between the right atrium and the left atrium. And the VSD is the exact same thing, only in the wall between the ventricles. So it allows the blood to continue flowing even though the tricuspid valve is missing. Was it atretic or was it stenotic? Or was it just totally absent? Because I know that with tricuspid atresia, the tricuspid valve can be narrowed so that there is still blood going through it or it can just be absent. I'm pretty sure it was just simply absent. I don't have a right ventricle to speak of really just kind of a deflated balloon. So you pretty much have hypoplastic right heart syndrome. Yes. Okay. So some people refer to that as HRHS and HRHS is a serious condition, but it's not quite as serious as HLHS because the distance from the heart to the lungs is much shorter than from your heart to your entire body. And that's why if you have those other communications known as an ASD or a VSD, where the blood is still able to leak out and get some oxygen from the lungs, then the human body, it's amazing how it can compensate. You were 11 years old before you had your surgery. Just amazing. And what was that first surgery that you had then? The first surgery that I had, as you mentioned, it was at 11 years old, June 21st, 1991. It was the modified Bontan. And it was done in Houston by Dr. David Ott. I just can't believe you went straight to a Fontan. And you did okay. Obviously, you wouldn't be here with us today if you hadn't done okay. You were 11. I imagine you remember that surgery. I do remember that surgery. It's something that I'd like to, I don't know, I was about to say I would like to forget it, but it, it's something that has shaped me Sure. going forward. I do have a lot of memories. One of the memories that sticks out for me is before the surgery. I can remember being in the holding room, waiting for the OR to open up and lifting my head up just a little bit and looking to my right. And my mom and dad were sitting right next to each other. And my mom was praying her rosary. Mm. that image is burned into my mind. I was on some pretty good drugs because I didn't really care. Right. I think <laughs> otherwise sure I might've, <laughs> I might've been freaking out otherwise, yeah. but yeah, I remember quite a bit about that having had the surgery at 11. Right. So prior to that, did you have a normal childhood? Were you able to run and play like your peers? Did you go to school full time or did you have to miss a lot of school for being sick? 
Really? No. I don't know. My normal is different from everybody else's normal. Sure. As I've gotten older, I've started to realize that. But I was able to run around in the neighborhood and play with kids. I was able to run around with my sisters and just cause havoc. I can remember many times my parents would always meet with the gym teachers and tell them, hey, Joe has a heart condition. So if he needs to sit out for something or if he feels tired, allow him to do that. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of self-regulated. If I felt tired, I would sit down. I would stop, you know, mm-hmm. but there really wasn't anything that I was excluded from doing other than contact sports, mm-hmm. which in my younger years wasn't a problem because I really didn't care about it. But as I got older and started enjoying things like football and baseball, it was little aggravating that I couldn't participate in those kind of things. Sure, absolutely. So all of a sudden, you're 11 years old, and your parents say, okay, you're having this surgery, you've been leading what you consider to be a normal life. But all of a sudden, you have to go to the hospital, you see your mother praying on her rosary. What happened after the surgery? After the surgery, I was better. When I say I was better, what I mean is that I no longer had the cyanosis. For those that don't understand what cyanosis is, it's when the lips and fingernails, toenails, Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff, the extremities can turn blue because of lack of oxygen. You were aware that you were blue. I was aware. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I have pictures of it. I have video from me as a young child with blue lips running around. And I didn't know the difference. I was a kid. Right, right. But after the surgery, you could tell a difference? You felt different? I was just glad that it was over and that I had survived it. And now life could move forward. I know that my parents told me that I was different. I could run farther. I could hang out with the kids a little more. I didn't have to sit down all the time. That sort of thing. So that came into play after the surgery. Mm Mm-hmm. So you don't really remember a whole lot after the surgery as far as any complications or anything like that? There really weren't any complications. And then you had 20 years where you didn't really have any cardiac issues. Or did you? Did you have some, but they were just so minor that it didn't require any kind of surgery or intervention? No, well, I had almost 20 years. I will say that shortly after I got married to now my ex-wife, Lauren, in 2005, I noticed that I was starting to get bouts of dizziness. It seemed at the time that it would come on randomly. One time in particular, I can remember being on an elliptical working out at a gym and watching my heart rate on the monitor in front of me as I'm holding on to the elliptical and I'm thinking I'm going to get my heart rate up as high as I can. And at one point my vision just started to go from the outside all the way in. And I was passing out is what I was doing. Yeah. And I I lost my breath. All of that scared the hell out of me. I'm glad you were on an elliptical and not a treadmill. (laughs) (laughs) the treadmill could have been really dangerous for you so i imagine you just stopped so i stopped i took a few seconds i know that what was happening was i was going into ventricular tachycardia Mm. and so my heart was speeding up so fast that 
blood is not perfusing properly to the rest of my body, causing the dizziness, mm -hmm. causing the loss of vision. And it passed. And I just kept going on with my life. And it was in December of 2009 that I had a Holter monitor. My cardiologist had me wear a Holter monitor for 24 hours and they caught ventricular tachycardia on the Holter monitor. And apparently that just never happens. That's really? a miracle in it. Wow. That's a miracle in itself. Most people don't know that they have ventricular tachycardia until it's too late. You hear stories about football players that they just pass out and they die of some kind of cardiac arrest. Most of the time that's ventricular fibrillation and you don't know that it happens until it kills you. So it's a miracle that they caught ventricular tachycardia and they could say, oh, this is present, this is a problem, let's put in a defibrillator so that it doesn't kill you. Home Tonight Forever by the Baby Blue Sound Collective. I think what I love so much about this CD is that some of the songs were inspired by the patients. Many listeners will understand many of the different songs and what they've been inspired by. Our new album will be available on iTunes, Amazon.com, Spotify. I love the fact that the proceeds from this CD are actually going to help those with congenital heart defects. Enjoy the music. Home Tonight Forever. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The opinions expressed in the podcast are not those of Hearts Unite the Globe, but of the hosts and guests, and are intended to spark discussion about issues pertaining to congenital heart disease or bereavement. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. That's Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna. Joe, let's start this segment by talking about the main reason we decide to do the podcast, and that is addiction. I think it's a topic a lot of people are afraid to talk about. And you have a really complicated history. Did you start drinking as a teenager? I hear that from a lot of people that they started drinking early and it was just something that they did. And it wasn't something that became an addiction until a certain event that was like a turning point for them when all of a sudden it went from just casual drinking to becoming a problem where they noticed that they had an addiction problem. No, actually, the funny thing is, is that I would have classified myself as a prude. I mean, to the point that when my ex-wife and I got married in 2005, I can remember prior to getting married, we were dating and she had called me one night and said that she was going out for drinks with her sister. And I lost my mind. I was like, you're going to go out with your sister and you're going to get drunk. <laughs> Why are you drinking? That's not the thing to do. Don't do that. That caused... A bit of an issue with us. She felt she could go out and have some drinks with her sister and it wasn't any big deal. But for you, that was something that can cause concern. I had dated an alcoholic actually prior to marrying my ex-wife. Mm -hmm. And so I think some of that was old tapes playing back when she said that she was going to go out drinking with her sister. The only 
thing that I had in my mind is, well, you're going out there to get drunk. To this point, I had never really engaged in very much drinking because I was with this person. And so I wasn't going to drink around her, you know, all that sort of thing. So it doesn't sound like you started drinking a whole lot as a teenager or that this was something that you did in college. Let's talk about your back surgery. Did you have an accident at work? No, it was something so stupid. We were on vacation when I was a kid and I slipped in a bathtub and just you know, hit the bottom of the bathtub and it ruptured one of my discs. Oh, wow. So you've lived with that most of your life. Mm -hmm. So as you got older, the pain got worse? It started when I was 15. We got it taken care of with some kind of an injection. I can't remember exactly what it was. And the problem went away. But as I got older, I think the disc slipped out again, the same one. And so at that point, I was married to Lauren, and she's a nurse and everything. Let's just go take care of this. Sure. And so I went in and had a discectomy done. Oh. Really simple surgery. They cut off that part of the disc and insert a jelly-like substance to take its place. That sounds painful. You know. That sounds really painful because where are the nerves? If the disc has slipped, what happens to the nerves? Don't they go through that disc? The surgeon actually said, I don't know how this guy is walking. Once he got in there, he said that the sciatic nerve was so frayed by the disc that been Mm -hmm. rubbing against it. He's like, I don't know how this guy is walking. Wow. So you have a high tolerance for... I had to move. Sure. I had to move. That's when all the pain medications started to kick in and... You had already been drinking. So then to have the pain medicine on top of that? Not just yet. I hadn't really started the drinking yet. The pain medication came first and the drinking came as the doctors stopped prescribing pain medication. And now I needed to find a different fix. Well, alcohol can kind of do that. Different. But I started drinking a lot. And then when I lost my job, I was just like, well, isn't this what people do when they lose their jobs? They just drink (laughs) like a license, like I had been given permission to just go crazy. So there was an event that really led to the alcohol, and that was the back surgery and not having the medications to properly take care of your back pain, that's why you turned to the alcohol. Was it was a way of dealing with your back pain? No, no. I was turning to the alcohol. It's No, it's darker than that. Unfortunately, it is darker than that. No, I had already started realizing that I was getting high, that I could alter my mind. Mm. And so when the doctors started not prescribing the medication to me because they're like, well, you're so far out from having had this surgery and you're still requesting this medication. So we think you're using it recreationally. We're not going to prescribe it anymore. Okay. Then I had to find another fix. And so I turned to alcohol. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The scary thing is that drugs that are supposed to help us can harm us. Mm -hmm. And how does a doctor know when 
to make that cutoff. I mean, I think that's got to be tough for doctors too. They don't want you to be in pain every day because if you're in too much pain, you can't exercise, you can't move, and then that causes problems. So you have to give them enough pain medicine so that they can recover fully. But then what happens if you get used to that good feeling? And I needed it. Mm-hmm. Alcoholism or addiction in general is an allergy combined with obsessive thought. Mm. An allergy to whatever the drug is, in this case, alcohol, and obsessively thinking about it. When can I get my next fix? When can I get my next bottle? When and where can I get my next glass of whatever? Mm-hmm. It's it's a dark, dark disease. It is. It is a dark, dark disease. I'm sorry that you had to go through that. I'm proud um, of you that you've lifted yourself out of that dark, dark place. Thank you. It sounds like it was really rough. I have to. I have three amazing kids. I have so much going for me right now with this podcast, my writing you know, that I'm finally getting confident about again. Yeah. You're a teacher changing the lives of children. So what I'm wondering is, we know that our population, our congenital heart defect population at large, parents and kids alike, and adult heart warriors as well, are more at risk for mental health problems. Consequently, I would imagine that means that they're also more at risk for addiction problems. So what kind of advice would you give to somebody who's in your shoes, somebody who has a Fontian heart or somebody who loves somebody with a Fontian heart and they see that they're struggling with some addiction problems or they're denying that they have them, but they know that it's there in the background? Oh my gosh. I don't even know if I'm the right person to ask for advice. I've screwed it up so much. But the one thing I would say is just be honest with yourself. You have to be honest with yourself, period. That's where recovery started, is being honest and knowing that I was finally admitting to myself that I was dealing with a lot of pain and a lot of other things that I just did not want to deal with in a normal way. So I turned to other things to try to soften the blow, if you will. And those are not good options. They'll eventually kill you. They just will. I am a 42-year-old congenital heart defect patient. I'm living a very, very normal life. I annoy people all the time. It's awesome. (laughs) Get out there. Do your thing. There's so much life to be lived. I know, Anna, that I'm one of the lucky ones. I've got HRHS as opposed to the HLHS, as we talked about early in the show, but the more people I meet with these heart conditions, I'm seeing that these folks are just like me. They're slow starters. They've been coddled and rightly so, right? This is a disease that is terrifying and could take us at any moment. But go live life. Period. I don't know if there's any better way to say it than that. 
Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect, or CHD, community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www.babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community. Anna's other books, My Brother Needs an Operation, The Heart of a Father, and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, a handbook for parents, will help you understand that you are not alone. Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more. Heart to Heart with Anna is a presentation of Hearts Unite the Globe and is part of the Hug Podcast Network. Hearts Unite the Globe is a nonprofit organization devoted to providing resources to the congenital heart defect community to uplift, empower, and enrich the lives of our community members. If you would like access to free resources pertaining to the CHD community, please visit our website at www.congenitalheartdefects.com for information about CHD, the hospitals that treat children with CHD, summer camps for CHD survivors, and much, much more. Okay, Joe, I can't believe we're already in the last segment, but we are. And I would like to know if you have sought out AA or some kind of help for your addiction, because I get the impression that the future is looking much brighter for you. Yes, I am regularly attending meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm staying sober, staying clean, all of that. One of our traditions is that we actually don't talk too much about that on a media platform. So I'm going to move away from that part of it and talk about, yeah, the future is bright. The future is much brighter. This year, 2022, will go down for me anyway as a year when just a whole lot of things have changed for me. Unfortunately, I've gotten divorced after an almost 17-year marriage. I have three amazing kids, but I've been able to find myself since the divorce. And I've been able to seek out the things that I used to be passionate about, like writing. There's a mutual friend between the two of us that I met who brought us together, Anna, and opened me up to this bigger world of, oh my gosh, there are other people out there who have similar heart conditions to mine. Mm-hmm. So you didn't grow up knowing a bunch of kids who had artifacts. So now your eyes have been open to this whole other population. Have you started to befriend people in the CHD world, aside from me and our mutual friend? A little bit. I have. There's a couple of people on Facebook that I've reached out to that have a decent following. And I'm hoping that this podcast, that even me just talking about this, Maybe another patient, a heart patient, will hear this and know that there's there's a lot more out there. Yeah, we can't do sports and all that kind of stuff, but you betcha I'm sitting in front of the TV ranting and raving. <laughs> Just because you're not out there playing doesn't mean you're not enjoying the sport. Is exactly. that what you're saying? <laughs> exactly. Every Saturday and Sunday afternoon, I, I wanted to play football, all that type of stuff. But really this year, I've started to take back my own health. I think for a lot of us, we allow people to take care of us. I mean, we're born with this heart condition. Obviously, our moms and dads are going to take care of us. They're going to make sure that we have the best 
care that we can possibly get. And doing that, I think we neglect ourselves. Mm. We neglect ourselves. And so we may be a little hesitant to step out into a bigger world. That was certainly the case for me. Mm. And 2022 for me with this divorce and now having to live on my own and figure things out for myself, it's been amazing. And I've been able to circle back around and take control of this heart condition again and say, okay, let's learn more about this. Let's take Mm -hmm. charge of my health. Let's take Mm -hmm. charge of the way I eat, the way I exercise, the way I sleep. It can be done and we can Mm -hmm. live long, healthy lives. I like that. I like knowing that it sounds like you did hit rock bottom, losing your marriage of almost 17 years. That's huge. And you lost your job. It sounds like a lot of things were not going well for you, but somehow you've been able to turn it around. And this year has been a year of change and growth and development for you, which is Wonderful to hear that you can turn it all around because I think that's one of the things that people who turn to alcohol, they feel that sense of hopelessness, like there is no ability to turn it around. Is there any specific thing that happened to you to help you realize that you could start to take control of your life again? I don't know that there was any specific thing. I think it was a culmination of a lot of things that just happened. Certainly just being able to step out on my own. I hate to say this because it sounds like I'm belittling marriages and I I, I don't, maybe that particular one wasn't for me. I've started to get a confidence back that allows me to turn things around and just look out for the betterment of myself. And that includes getting rid of drugs, alcohol anything that's going to harm myself, fatty foods. There's a plethora of things that we do to ourselves that we consume as Americans that harm ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think there was one particular event that caused me to go in this direction. It's been a very slow process and I've had to keep my eyes wide open Mm -hmm. and I've had to keep my heart open to a God that I believe in Mm -hmm. that speaks into my life and allow things to happen the way they're supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. Just being able to sit back and allow things to happen and not be in control has been a miracle throughout this entire process. Yeah. I think the whole issue of control is something that we in the CHD world have to learn to accept because especially if you're a type A personality like I am, I like to be in control. I like to have mm. my to-do list. I like to have things mapped out. I have a five-year plan and I really don't like it when things happen <laughs> that mess up all my plans. But the thing that you learn when you have somebody in your life who has CHD, whether it's yourself or whether it's your child, is that literally your life can change in a heartbeat and control. Yeah. Don't have control. All you have control over is how you react to things that happen to you. But there are things outside of your control that are going to happen to you, whether you like it or not. No matter how well you plan, things are going exactly. to happen. 
And it's how we react to those things that is the most important thing. Yeah, you bet. It's hard. Absolutely. Hard to say. There are things I have no control over, but I think that's one of the reasons religion is so important in my life is because like you were saying, you have a God that you believe in. I do as well. And I pray regularly (laughs) because I know that things are outside of my control and that it's okay because God has it. And that God has a plan for me and God has a reason for things happening. I may not understand it, but it seems like as time goes on, I'll look back on things and I'll say, oh, now I see why I had to go through that hardship. Mm -hmm. Or now I understand why this happened to me. And a lot of times it's because I needed to learn a lesson to become the person I am today. Yeah. Well, I mean, just like with this, I don't want to harp on this too much because first of all, I sound crazy. But something is happening here this year because of the divorce and meeting our mutual friend and being opened up to a bigger world of more patients that are a lot like me. I had no clue that there were so many of us out there, which I don't know. You think about that, you go, well, why wouldn't you think that? That astonishes me that there are so many congenital heart defect patients out there, so many HS, HLHS patients out there. I really think that there's something happening here that is bringing my life finally into alignment with what I am supposed to do. I'm glad that you say that because I think part of what you're supposed to do has something to do with me, which is really exciting. And Stacy bringing us together. We've been talking for over a month about starting a new project. Are you comfortable with us sharing a little bit about that with the world? I am. Okay. So our friend Stacy did bring us together and we have been talking about starting a new podcast in 2023. Let's talk about that just a little bit, Joe. How are you feeling about starting a podcast, being a co-host on a podcast where you're talking about CHD topics? I think I'm nuts. I think I'm a little (laughs) in over my head. (laughs) I love it. But my gosh, if it can help somebody. Yeah. If it can help somebody. That's the thing. That's where, you know what a real high is? A real high is being able to speak into somebody's life and watch them bloom. Yes. You're a teacher. I'm a teacher. Mm -hmm. Those moments are more rare than we'd like them to be. Sure. But when they come, my gosh, that's a better high than any drug, alcohol, whatever. That's it. And is that not what we're supposed to do? Yeah, I think that's what God wanted me to do, for sure. I've known since I was a little girl, I wanted to be a teacher. I'm not teaching right now, which feels really weird. But I do feel that what we're doing with the podcast is a form of teaching. We're letting people know they're not alone. We're helping people find out about resources they may not know about and putting them in touch, in a way, with a bigger community that they may not have known existed. So yeah, I think this is God-driven. I think Stacy bringing us together, a lot of people don't know, but our mutual friend Stacy actually was in the swim team with my older son. <laughs> Who would have thought she would call me and ask me 
if I could meet with her because she found out she was pregnant with a child who had the same heart defect as my second child. It is a small world. It's funny how things come together. Her aunt remembered me from swim club because I was the treasurer for the swim team at one point. And I had to take a break from being an officer because my child needed surgery. And her aunt remembered that, which I think is just amazing. And we reconnected and she brought you and me together. So I think it's kind of unusual the way things fall into place. Tell me that the stars didn't align somewhere to make this happen. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that I am a person who coming into this also has a congenital heart defect, but also loves things like media and speaking and film so that we can get this word out there to people. Absolutely. I'm so looking forward to you and me co-hosting a show. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. We haven't worked out all of the particulars yet, friends. We have a couple of months to do that. We hope to launch in January 2023, but we're super excited about it. And it's going to be different than Heart to Heart with Anna because I have a co-host to talk to and we will be doing some interviews, but not all of our shows will be interview-based. So I'm super excited about this. I am so happy to finally do a podcast with you. This is our show to do before we launch our own podcast. So it's long overdue. We've been trying to do this for, gosh, for a couple of months now. A couple of months, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) but finally came through. So thank you, Stacey, for bringing us together. And our time is up. But before we go, I would love for you to impart one more piece of wisdom to my listeners. Just tell us, as a person who is in his 40s with a Fontan heart, with a defibrillator, what advice do you have for other people who hope to make it to their fourth decade and beyond? I don't know if what I want to say, I can say on a podcast. Okay, you have me curious. (laughs) Go live. Just go live. I'm telling you, that chasing dreams is not stupid. When people tell you that your dreams that you want to chase, that the sport you want to play, that the novel you want to write, the movie you want to make is too much, it's never going to happen. That's not a friend. Go do it. Go live your best life. I'm a person with a congenital heart defect. I'm happier than I've ever been in my entire life. Just go live. I love it. I love it. That is excellent advice. Whether you have a heart defect or not, go live your life. Make the most out of your life because none of us knows how much time we have on this earth. So why not make the most of whatever time we have, right? Absolutely. Joe, I have so enjoyed talking to you and getting to know you a little bit better. Thank you so much for being a guest on the program today. Hey, thanks for having me. This was fun. It was fun. And I'm looking forward to us working on the program. We'll be launching in January 2023. That does conclude this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. Thanks for listening today. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review of the podcast on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And remember, my friends, you are not alone. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you have become inspired 
and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart community. Heart to Heart with Anna with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard at any time wherever you get your podcasts. A new episode is released every Tuesday from noon Eastern time.